Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for time together. I pray it would be a blessing. And we just hand this time to you. You're a good God. We love you. I pray that you'd bless it and it would be a blessing to people by grace. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his death and resurrection. Thank you that we can come to you by his blood. And so we just hand this time to you. you. Amen. Well, just a reminder, we're going over the big themes in the Bible from a 20,000 foot view, going through Genesis to Revelation, talking about themes that come up over and over. And last week we talked about the presence of God. The presence of God is what we're looking for. We want to be with God. We want to know God. But sin separates us from God. And that's that's the result. That's the worst result of sin is that we can't be with God anymore. He casts us out of the garden. Not only does he cast us out, we choose not to be in his presence. Adam and Eve hide from him. And so do does every sinner. They don't want to be with God anymore. So it's a, it's a two-way separation. Man separates himself from God and God casts man out as a result of his sin. But the good news we talked about is that we can know God again. We can be in his presence again because of Jesus. That's what Jesus did. He's God with us. He came to bring God's presence on earth. And he came to restore fellowship between man and God through his death on the cross. 1 Peter 3.18 says that Christ died once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. Why did he do that? So we don't have to be punished? So we get out of hell? No. That he might bring us to God. That's the good news. Is that if you have been separated from God by your sin, you can be restored. You can be in God's presence once again because of Jesus and what he did. And that's what's going to happen. At the end of history, there's going to be people who once again get to be in the presence of God. And today we're going to talk, start again in Genesis 3, right after the fall. And today, the Lord willing, the theme we're going to cover is the word grace. And it's going to really going to tie into that idea of the presence of God. But let's read Genesis 3, 8 and 9, and then jump ahead to verse 21. Genesis 3, 8 and 9. And then we're going to jump all the way to the end of the Bible, Revelation 7. Genesis 3, 8 and 9. So Adam and Eve have just sinned. They did the one thing God told them not to do, which is eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they heard the sound of the Lord, this is verse 8, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? Jump down to verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So here, man sinned. They end up being separated from the presence of God. What should have happened here after man sinned? Well, God said that in the day that they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day they'll surely die. The punishment was death. And what happened? Did they die? They didn't. What what happened instead? God came to them, and in verse 21, he kills something else in their place. He kills an animal and makes for them garments out of the skin of that animal to cover the result of their sin, to cover their shame that they felt over their sin. And so here comes God Instead of giving them punishment, what does he give them? He gives them a gift that they didn't deserve, that they didn't earn. And that's what grace is. Grace is an undeserved gift. 
And that's the way God is. God comes to imperfect sinners. And instead of punishing them, he wants to give them a gift they don't deserve. Give them a gift that they couldn't have earned, that they didn't earn. And if you jump all the way to the end of your Bible, we're moving really fast here. This exact same story happens at the end of history. Everyone's standing before God, Revelation 7. And what's going to happen at the end of history? The exact same thing that happened in Genesis 3. Let's start reading here. Genesis, uh, Revelation 7, 13. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on his throne will shelter them with his presence. So here, here we are, all the people who have ever lived standing before God, and what do they every single one deserve? Just like Adam and Eve, they deserve to die. They deserve punishment, death, and separation from God. But some of them don't receive that. Instead, they receive a gift that they don't deserve, which is what? A garment to cover the result of their sin. Does that sound familiar? How did that garment come about? Someone died in their place instead of them dying. An innocent, in this case, lamb, Jesus Christ, died to give them this garment to cover the result of their sin. It's a gracious gift they didn't deserve. Praise the Lord. It's very similar to Genesis 1. And the word that we can use to describe it is grace. Grace is God giving you something that you don't deserve, something better than that that you deserve. There's a story in a book called Les Miserables. It's a French book, and there's a musical too, but anyways, there's a story, and it's got a great picture of grace in it, and what happens is a man comes to this monastery, and they invite him in and feed him and give him a place to sleep, and what he does is he steals all the silver, steals a lot of the silver, and then he runs away in the middle of the night and the police catch him and they bring him, they know where it came from. So they bring him back to this monastery and they take him to the guy in charge and they say, Hey, I caught this guy with your silver. Why don't we, we just want to make sure this is yours. We want to return it. We're taking him to jail. What's the response from, from the guy running the monastery? Well, what do you, what the guy who stole the silver, his name is Jean, um, the guy who stole the silver deserves punishment. And what happens is uh, the guy running the monastery who who should have said, yeah, that's my silver, give it back and take him to jail. Instead he says, oh, wow, why did you leave so early? I've got a gift for you. I, you forgot to take these as well. And he gives him more. He gives him more silver. He gives him valuable things that he didn't deserve. He did everything not to deserve them. He stole. He stole a bunch of stuff. And what does he get? He gets a gift that he doesn't deserve and he didn't earn. That's a good picture of grace. That's the way we are before God. We've done all the wrong things. We don't deserve a gift from God. We've sinned against God. We've rejected God. We didn't want to know God. And every single day we lived our life for us instead of doing what we knew God wanted us to do. And what does God come to us? With a gift 
instead of punishment. The gift of knowing him, the gift of Jesus Christ coming down and becoming a man and all the things he purchased for us. That's grace. That's what grace is. It's God coming to us and giving us what we don't deserve. It's God coming to Adam and Eve and they know they deserve punishment and what do they get? They they get a gift. They don't get punished. God gives them something, makes them garments to cover their skin, to cover their skin and cover their sin. And the reality is, is that's what Jesus does too. When Jesus came down to become a man, what did we deserve? We deserve punishment. Could Jesus have wiped the earth of every sinner and brought justice right then? He could have, but what did he bring? He brought a gift we didn't deserve, which is his blood to cover our sin and to give us garments to cover our sin, white garments. Praise the Lord. That's grace. That's what grace is. Now, it's really important that we understand that this whole book from where we just went, Genesis 3, all the way to Revelation, is filled with people who need grace, who don't deserve God to meet with them, who don't deserve to know God, who don't deserve to be used by God and to be blessed by God. Because if you don't, the Bible is very confusing. If you don't remember, this is a book about a gracious God coming to people who don't deserve to be near to Him, who deserve punishment. If you read the book of Genesis right at the beginning and you see the people God comes to and he's choosing I want you to know me and I want to use you to bless all the nations it's very confusing because it is not the people you'd expect we see Jacob we see this guy who deceives his dad deceives his brother lies and steals this blessing and that's the guy that God comes to and says I'm going to use you I'm going to use you to bless the whole earth, and I'm going to be with you. He doesn't come to him and call out his sin. He comes to him and says he's going to bless him and be with him. That doesn't make any sense. Unless you remember that that's who we're talking about, a gracious God who comes to the people who don't deserve it and gives them grace. Does God eventually deal with his sin? Yes, absolutely. He does. And transforms him by grace. But first he comes and draws him into a relationship and he, and he said he's going to use him to bless the whole earth and all the people. The book of Genesis is a terrible example. You don't, you don't want to be like Judah. He does all these terrible sins that we can't even talk about right now. Levi, he's not a good example. Lot, he's not a good example. He does all these things, and yet God is coming to them and choosing to use and to be near and to bless these people. The people that don't deserve it. That's what grace is. God coming to sinners that don't deserve blessing. They deserve punishment. And yet, God's drawing them to himself. You look at David, you look at Samson, Gideon, the people of Israel. They're all doing all the wrong thing at every turn, it seems like. Jonah is a good example. They have all these deep problems. Samson is got many problems. The least, you know, the least of which is is he's got adultery. You know, he commits adultery with uh, these different people, Delilah, and he's got all these other problems where he murders people when he gets angry, um, and he tricks people. Ah, oh, he's got a ton of problems. Same with Gideon. He's fearful. The people of Israel, God tells them, do this. They don't do it. God comes to them. They grumble. He gives them good things. They complain about it. 
He gives them really good things. They forget all about him. It's just story after story of failure, of failure, of failure. And it's so confusing if you're looking to these people expecting a hero, expecting someone who gets it right all the time, someone you can look up to. It's going to make no sense, but it's going to make perfect sense if you see, wow, look at this gracious God coming to the people who deserve it least, who are doing all the wrong things, and saying, I want to know you, I want to bless you, I want to use you. Think about the New Testament, Jesus. Here comes Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Where is he going to go? Who, what kind of people is he going to be with? God chooses to be with weak, imperfect people. He chooses the fishermen, you know, low in terms of social class. He chooses tax collectors. He chooses prostitutes. He chooses morally bankrupt people, and he chooses weak people. He chooses people that don't seem like the smartest tools in the shed. They're, you know, the disciples continually misunderstand Jesus. Jesus says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And the disciples turn to one another, who's got bread? I don't think we have any bread. You know, it just goes right over their head. And Jesus says, I'm talking about their teaching. And they're like, oh. And over and over and over, they just misunderstand Jesus. And they make all these mistakes. And then what do they do right at the end? They all desert Jesus right at the end of his life. They're not these great heroes that you're looking up to. Like, wow, they always get it right. They're always doing these marvelous things. It's the opposite. They're people that are making mistakes over and over and over. Why? Because the Bible is a book, not about heroes. They always get it right, unless you're talking about Jesus, but about people, imperfect people, and a gracious God coming to them. That's what the Bible's about. And if you're looking to it for moral heroes, you're going to be disappointed when you meet Noah and you realize, wow, he's got some things that are pretty messed up. And you read the story of Jonah and you read, wow, this guy's really angry and he seems pretty vindictive and not very kind. And yet God is, that's the one God sends and that's the one God uses. That makes no sense unless you're looking at it through the eyes of a gracious God meeting with imperfect people over and over and over. Praise the Lord. Think about Jesus, the woman at the well. Who does Jesus want to go see? He wants to go to Samaria. These people that, you know, have rejected the worship, true worship of God, which is what Jesus tells her in John 4. And he goes to the lowest of the low, right? This lady who can't even go to the well with all the other people because she's looked down upon because she commits adultery over and over and over and over. And people look, look down on her. And here comes Jesus. Who does he want to talk to? Does he want to talk to some moral hero who's got always gets it right, who's got it all figured out, who's really smart, who's doing the right thing? No, he comes to this lady who's doing all the wrong things. And what does he do? He says, I want a relationship with you, I want to know you, and I want to use you. That's grace. She didn't get what she deserved. She got a gift of living water, and God used her. And so this is the story, the big picture of the Bible. And without the idea of grace, it makes no sense. This isn't like some of the Greek uh, tales where there's a guy who's a moral pillar and you're looking up to him and you're wanting to be like him and he always makes the right decision and it always turns out successful. That's not what the Bible's filled with. The Bible's filled with, listen to this, I've said it again, I'm going to say it before. I'm going to tell you my two points here. First, 
Grace means that God calls imperfect, sinful people into relationship with him. The people that don't deserve. That's what grace means. Here comes God calling these imperfect. So there's things that aren't necessarily sin, but aren't perfection. They're not the smartest. They're not the highest status. That's okay. It's not a sin to not be smart, not be eloquent, not know what to say. That's fine. That's it. But it's imperfect. And there's beyond that, there's sinners. So imperfect sinners, this is who God's calling into relationship with him. And beyond that, that's the first point. God, grace means that God wants a relationship with imperfect sinners. And secondly, grace means God loves to use imperfect sinners. Grace means God loves to use those same imperfect sinners. And he uses them. And that's what you see in all these places. You see the woman at the well. What happens? He calls this person to him and she runs and she tells the whole town about Jesus. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. And what's the result? It says many believed on him. And then more came out. And it says again later in, in John 4, many more believed. And so God wants a relationship with this imperfect lady sinful lady. That's grace. Grace upon grace is he wants to use that imperfect sinful lady. Praise the Lord. God used her. God used her in a powerful way. This lady who just heard about Jesus for the first time within two days, which is how long Jesus stayed there in Samaria, if I remember right. Within two days, she saw more fruit than the most powerful preachers that I know have ever seen in two days. Many, many, many people believing on Jesus. You know, I think about different guys that I know that have said things like they've never seen, you know, mul multiple people saved in, in after one meeting or series of meetings. They've never seen 20 people saved in their whole life. And they're eloquent, they're smart, they're gifted, they're knowledgeable. And what does God do with this lady who barely knows anything and still she's still an adulterer right she's she hasn't cleaned up her life yet and she goes back to tell people about Jesus and many multitudes are saved praise the Lord and believe on Jesus God used her mightily praise God God used her more mightily than he's ever used me as far as I know in terms of this outward expression you know of people believing Praise God. That's what grace is. God loves to use imperfect people. And what else? Just jumping back through all those stories we talked about. Judah come, comes from him. Jesus, right, is his descendant. Levi, Jonah. God uses Jonah. He does all these. He does all the wrong things, right? We talked about that. And what, what's the result? Many people repent. God uses this imperfect guy. To draw a whole city to repentance. David, Samson, Gideon. He uses all these imperfect people in a powerful way. The disciples. Praise God. That's what grace is. Calling imperfect people into relationship with him. And then using them. So how do we apply these two points? That God loves to call imperfect people into relationship with him. Imperfect sinful people. That's grace. And grace and that he loves to use them. Well... We can apply it 
in terms of maybe we could talk to kids. Kids, are you hiding your sin? Like, I feel like if, if I know growing up in a church what it's like to grow up in a church, hearing about Jesus, knowing that we shouldn't sin, it's wrong, it disappoints God, that many times my tendency and the tendency of the friends that I had that were lost was to try and cover up their sin, try and hide their sin from people, and try and fix themselves up, trying to do better next week. I would come into church every week with sin that I felt guilty about, that I knew I shouldn't be doing, that I didn't tell anyone about. And I would tell God, I'm going to try harder next week, God. I'm sorry, I'm going to try harder next week. That's not believing this truth that we just talked about. God loves to call imperfect people, sinful people, into relationship with Him. If I believe that, I would just come to God as an imperfect sinner and ask Him to help me. Ask him to meet with me and change me and draw me into a relationship. I wouldn't hide my sin and try and clean myself up so I can have a relationship with God. That's workspace. That's not grace. That's me trying to merit a relationship with God. And I can't do it. I wasn't good enough. I, every week I came back with the same sin over and over and, and different sins. And I never was able to do it. Well, that what I was doing was contrary to the message of the whole Bible, which is... From the beginning to the end, our first ancestor, Adam and Eve, all the way to the end of history, every single person that has a relationship with God is going to come, not with the righteous garments that they've cleaned up their life, or they've hidden their sin good enough so people don't know about it. They're going to come with dirty garments and say, I don't deserve to have a relationship with God, but I'm going to wash my garments in the blood of Jesus by grace and get a gift that I don't deserve. If you're a kid growing up in church, stop hiding your sin. Stop trying to clean it up yourself before anybody finds out and go straight to God. Maybe go to your parents and tell them, listen, I've been doing this or I've been watching this or I've been whatever it is, whatever sin I've been hiding. I want to, I just want to share that with you, ask you to pray for me and go to God too. Go to God, go right to him. Don't just Keep trying to clean yourself up to be good enough to come to God. Come to God as a guilty, imperfect sinner. That's who God wants a relationship with. That's what the whole book is about. That's why it's so encouraging when you read from Genesis all the way through to the end that there's all these sinful people that you wouldn't think God would come to, and He is. He's coming to the people that are deceitful, the people that are stealing, that the people that have anger problems, the people that aren't loving and saying, I want a, I want a relationship with you. Praise the Lord. What about parents? Parents, do you com- are you feel do you feel open to confess your sins to other adults in the church? Do you feel open to ask for prayer? Do you f- feel open to s- ask your kids for forgiveness? Why not? Why not just be willing to say, "I'm a sinner. I'm messed up. I'm weak and I'm imperfect. I'm a weak, imperfect sinner." Are you worried that people are going to find out that you're a sinner in need of grace? You are, and so am I, and so is every other person in the whole history of the world. That's what the whole Bible is saying. No one is good. No, not one. It's not something that we should be worried about. People discovering, wow, people found out I'm a sinner in need of grace. Well, yeah, Uh, obviously, that's what the whole Bible is about. That's what everyone is. We don't need to hide that. Praise the Lord that he loves to come and meet with imperfect people. 
Run to God's grace. He wants a relationship with you. Stop trying to deal with sin on your own. God wants a relationship with you right as you are, imperfect, right where you're at. He's not going to be surprised. He knows. What else? The other part that I want to talk about, that was a lot of that was to non-Christians. Some of it was to Christians. But to Christians, I want to talk about how God wants to use imperfect sinful people. Look at how he did it over and over in the Bible. He's using these people. And the grace of God, we didn't really talk about this, but the grace of God does transform us, changes us. But I'm not going to talk about that till next week because I was afraid if I talked about it this week, I talked about how God's grace calls you into relationship and then transforms you, that you would think, well, I'm going to wait until God transforms me before he wants to use me. Because that's not true. That's not what we see in these examples like the woman at the well. The example of the woman at the well is God using this person before he's done this marvelous transforming work, which of course he's going to do. Yes, she's not going to go on being an adulteress anymore. God's going to clean up her life. But even before all that's dealt with, she's still got this bad reputation. God is using her. And I want you to know that God wants to use you with all your faults and failings. That's what grace is. Grace is God calling into relationship imperfect people and God using imperfect people. Think about Jonah. Think about Samson. Think about the disciples. All these people still very imperfect, still sin problems. And yet God is graciously using them. Praise God. Praise God. So what about you? I mean, have you believed the lie when you have your life all figured out, a little bit more sin dealt with, then you can start talking to people about Jesus? Have you believed the lie, once my life's a little bit more cleaned up, then I'll be useful to God? It's not true. If that was true, then the story of the woman in the well wouldn't be in the Bible. God's not waiting to use you when you're perfect, because you know what's going to happen? You're always going to be waiting. You're going to be waiting until you die and meet with Jesus. And then there's not going to be anyone, any sinners there to share with. There's not going to be people to have mercy on. There's not going to be the hungry to feed. You need to serve and love and pour yourself out as imperfect as you are. What's the worst that could happen? People find out, oh wow, this person that that's sharing with me about Jesus, they're an imperfect sinner in need of grace too. Yeah, praise the Lord, you know? I mean, that would be great if they saw that. Look, God loves this person and he's imperfect. He's sinful. He's got problems. Praise the Lord if they found that out. That's exactly what God wants to tell people, right? We don't want to hide from them the thing we're trying to teach them, which is God loves to call imperfect, sinful people into relationship with them. Praise God. Think about this. What about the people in the jail? Imagine you go into the jail. What are you going to tell people if some guy in the jail comes up to you and says, Hey, I really want to tell these people in here about Jesus, but my life isn't cleaned up yet. I'm not, I haven't dealt with all these sins yet. I've still got problems. Would you say, yeah, you really should wait. Don't tell anybody about Jesus right now until you get your life cleaned up. No, you'd say, tell them now. Tell them. Give that to God, ask him to change you, but start telling them now. You're never 
going to be a perfect example. Jesus is a perfect example. We're not going to people and saying, look how perfect I am. We're going to people and saying, look how I'm a sinner and Jesus saved me. Jesus can save you too. And even no matter how imperfect you are, no matter how sinful you are. So focusing on this idea of grace in the Bible and seeing how God uses all these imperfect people empowers you to step out in obedience wherever you're at. Warts and imperfections and sins and all, step out. Step out in obedience. You know, some of these things I say imperfect and sinful because there's things that were imperfect and it's not sin. Maybe you're not the smartest. Maybe you're not the richest. Maybe you're not the most eloquent. Maybe you don't know what to say. Well, that's okay. Guess what? God loves to use imperfect, sinful people. And God knows that when you go out into evangelism, you don't have all the answers. Guess what? Nobody does. Nobody has all the answers. The only person that has all the answers is Jesus. That's it. We're imperfect. And yet, God is calling each one of us to step out. And you know what's there waiting for us? Grace. When we don't know what to do, what to say, when we do it imperfectly, praise the Lord, there's a gracious God who loves to use imperfect people. That's what he did over and over and over and over and over and over. So we talked about 10 examples of people who are super imperfect and God bless them mightily. Praise the Lord and use them mightily. Don't wait. Don't leave it for somebody else. If you feel God calling you to lead a Bible study and you don't feel certain, well, what if I don't say the right thing? Give it to the Lord. There's grace. You feel like God's calling you to go knock on your neighbor's door. Could it go awkward and bad? Sure. It could. But you know what? Even if it does, God loves to use imperfect, sinful people. That might be the very thing he wants to use. God might use it just because it's in weakness. God loves to use the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He usually loves to use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God loves, what grace means is God loves to use imperfect, sinful people. So the next time you want to step out and encourage somebody or serve somebody or have hospitality, but you don't know if you're going to do it all right, you know what? You're not going to do it all right. You're not. <laughs> That's because you're an imperfect sinful person. And you know what? God loves to use a person like that. So step out. Pray about it. Pray, God, I don't know what to say here, but I want to try and encourage this person. Pray you would use just the way you always do in the Bible. Graciously use imperfect obedience. All of our obedience is going to be imperfect obedience. And God loves to use graciously imperfect obedience. So let's have courage to step out and do it. I don't know how many times I've said that, but I hope it's not just repetition. I hope you really see it. You know, I'm preaching to myself too, because just, just this week I was at Walmart. I saw somebody, I know they're going through a difficult time. And I thought about, man, I want to say something to encourage them because I know they're going through this especially hard trial right now. And I don't know what to say. And I, I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything about it other than praying for you guys. I wish I would have shared a verse. I wish I would have shared something. But I was waiting because I didn't know the exact right thing to say. You know what? I'm never going to know. But you know what I needed to do is just trust God. God, 
I don't know if this is the right thing to say, but you're gracious. I'm imperfect, and you know that. Would you use this by your grace, even if it's even if it's the wrong thing? I just I should have said something, and I didn't. But if I had focused on the grace of God, and no, you know what? God loves to use imperfect obedience. I think I would have said something. I would have stepped out in faith. What else? Grace means that God uses imperfect people, but you know what else it means? It means he uses it in a way that's not proportional to the efforts. I'll give give you an example from the Bible. And like I said, we're going through, we've probably already done 30 examples, so they're just so quick, but I hope it's helpful. I hope it's cohesive. The theme is grace, and God graciously blesses things abundantly beyond the effort put forth by the people. I'll give you an example. When Jesus tells Simon, cast out your net on the other side of the boat. He had been casting his net all night long and they caught nothing. He casts his net and there's so many fish that it starts to sink the boat. That's a that's the grace of God coming in. The power of God. It wasn't that Simon worked really hard. God didn't say, wow, look how good Simon threw that net out. So I'm going to give him a bunch of fish. It was just God's grace coming in and blessing the effort of the imperfect person. And that's a physical example, but there's spiritual examples like Jonah. Was it the result of Jonah's perfect obedience that everyone repented? Was it the result of the great eloquence of his message that everyone repented? No, it was the grace of God poured out on his effort that made it abundantly beyond what it could have been by his own natural efforts. That's what grace does. The grace of God means that God could use you in a mighty way beyond all the human effort that you put into it. You could say something imperfect, not the best thing to say, and God could use it mightily. I think about myself, and the way I became a Christian was Jess sent me an email. Was it the perfect email? No, I'm sure it wasn't. And it had a sermon in it. And I started listening to sermons and the Lord saved me. Praise God. Praise God. It changed me forever. Is one email sent, um, was that the most powerful email Jess has ever written? Probably not. It was just one email. And yet, God used it mightily in my life. Changed my whole life. For my whole eternity. Praise the Lord. He can do that with you. He can, he can do the exact same thing that happened to Simon. You just, in obedience, go out, you cast out your net, and he could, in his grace, make it more fruitful than you could have ever imagined. You could go knock on somebody's door and say, hey, I just, I want to pray for you and see how I can be helping you. I know it's a rough time right now. Can I go to store for you? Is there anything you need? God, you use it mightily. You never know. That's what grace is. It's not because of your effort that God uses it. It's because of his grace that he pours out his spirit and his power on imperfect, sinful obedience. Sinful obedience. That's an oxymoron. He Imperfect obedience by sinful people. The fruit can be total, totally disproportional to your efforts. So step out. You don't know what could happen. God loves to use imperfect people. The last thing I want to say in terms of application is this. If I focus on this idea of grace and read through all these stories and stack up in my mind all these stories of God using 
imperfect people and their imperfect obedience. I think I would step out more and do more and believe God more. But as of right now, I'm very risk averse. I don't want to do the, I'm scared to do the wrong thing. I'm scared to say the wrong thing. I'm scared to step out and do something different because I don't want it to fail. The reality is I think if I focused on this idea of grace, of God graciously using imperfect people and imperfect obedience, that I would do more and I wouldn't be so afraid of failure. Why? Because there's grace. God knows that I don't know all the answers. God knows that I'm not going to encourage every single person perfectly and love every single person perfectly. He knows that. He called me an imperfect, sinful person. He didn't call somebody perfect. And he he's not surprised when I don't know the answers. And he's not surprised when I don't love people the way that Jesus would. He called me. He called me, not an angel to do it, right? And God has grace there, ready. God is able to pour out his grace on my efforts. So whenever, how do we apply this to you? How do I want you to apply this? I pray that we wouldn't be so risk averse. You know, Titus says the grace of God has appeared and it brought salvation to all men. And then a couple verses down, still that same sentence, it, it ends it with this, that God has purchased for himself a people zealous for good works. They're zealous. They want to do good works. They're, they're, they have an urgency, you know, a passion, a zealousness to do good works. And you know what? For me, I think I've developed a zealousness not to make mistakes. A zealousness not to do the wrong thing. And so my focus has been negative. Like, oh, don't make it, don't mess up here. Don't say the wrong thing here. Don't try and step out. And then that's not what God wanted. Don't miss God on this. And so I have been zealous to not make mistakes. And you know what? God wants me to be zealous for good works. And you know what? If I'm going out and I'm trying to serve people and I'm pouring myself out, you know what kind of obedience that's going to be? It's going to be imperfect obedience. And you know what? I'm going to make a ton of mistakes. But God's grace has come. And he, in his grace, saved me, called me, and he wants to use me imperfect as I am, and you too. So we should step out. Stop being so worried about taking a risk because you might mess up. You know why? You are going to mess up. And you know what's there waiting? God. In his grace, wanting to use you in your imperfect state. In even in spite of your sins, God wants to use you. That's the story of the Bible. That's who Jesus came to call. Jesus came to call the sinners, not the righteous. It's like a parked car. This is I've been living my Christian life in a lot of ways. This is an oversimplification, but in a lot of ways like a parked car. If I if I never take my car out, you know what? I'm never gonna get in a wreck. I'm never going to get a ticket. There's a lot of things I'm never never going to do. I'm never going to hit anyone. I'm never going to get lost. I'm all, My car is always going to be right where I left it because it, I never drive it. I don't want to live my Christian life like that. So scared that I'm going to make a mistake that I never actually actively do anything. Or I only do the things I'm 100% certain for. I want to be zealous for good works. 
I want, I want that for you and for me. And if I believe, and what I'm praying, is that this idea of grace, you see the grace of God throughout the Bible, that you will go out and you'll trust God, knowing, hey, you know what? I don't know what to say here, God. I'm gonna, I want to say something. Help me. Help my imperfect words in your grace to be helpful and to be encouraging and to be uplifting and to do what you want them to do. We can do evangelism like a parked car. We never do it because we might mess up. We can do. We can pray for people like a parked car. We never step out because we don't want to say the wrong thing. I... I could do hospitality like a parked car. Do it only when it's, the circumstances are just right and the house is clean and when it's convenient and when it, I feel like I can um, do it in the right, you know, with all the right attitudes or whatever. You know what? I want to. I want to do hospitality when our house is a mess. Why? God could use it. At least we're we're, we're trying, you know, to step out. I want to do hospitality. I want to show mercy. I want to serve people. I want to comfort people, even imperfectly. That's what I would do. How I would live my Christian life if I had, if I focused on these, the idea of grace. There's grace there, grace there when I mess up, and there's grace there that God wants to use that imperfect obedience. That's what I want for you. Why don't you just pray? We're going to conclude here. This is. Just a summary of what we talked about. God wants you, imperfect, sinful people, in a relationship with him, and me too. He wants that. Because we've deserved it, because we've earned it? No, because he's a gracious God giving to people what they haven't earned, what they don't deserve. And beyond that, grace upon grace is he wants to use you in, he wants to use you right where you're at, in all your imperfections. That's what grace is. Grace is God doing more, giving you gifts that you don't deserve. Praise the Lord. I hope that, that this will encourage you to step out. I hope this will encourage you, if you're lost, just to run to God right where you're at with all your sin and just pour it out. I hope this will encourage you to be open about your failing, your failings, your weaknesses, because you're... An imperfect sinner. Just the kind of person God loves to draw in a relationship with himself. We don't have to hide it. That's exactly who we are. Let's pray together. If I could just give you a little encouragement. Why don't you just pray instead of us praying out loud. I'll say a short prayer and you pray. God, what do you? how do you want me to apply this? Is there any th- way you want me to step out? Or God, is there any way you want me just to run to you right where I'm at with whatever sin that it is I've been trying to clean up myself, hide from people? Just pray, God, What? how do you want me to apply this? I'm just going to pray a short prayer and then why don't you pray on your own? Lord, I do pray, would you guide us? Lord, we, we want to be zealous for good works and we want to lean into your grace in faith. I pray, Lord, that as a result, that people... Christians, all the Christians listening to this would just do one thing this week they wouldn't have done. And in all the imperfect, awkward obedience, uncertainty, that you would bless it mightily because that's what you love to do. You're a gracious God. 
We love you. We thank you, God, so much for grace. We pray this in your name. Amen.